Welcome to A Break in the Action, where we take a break from the business of our days to focus on outdoor pursuits and the traditional sporting lifestyle. Join us for discussion and interviews on vintage and modern break action shotguns, sporting literature, outdoor leisure, and reviews of best-in-class gear, accessories, and destinations. So pour yourself a drink. Sit back, relax, and let's take a break in the action. A Break in the Action is proud to be sponsored by Dewberry of Ireland, B&P Shot Shells, Negrini Cases, and Coal Fine Guns and Gunsmithing. And now, here's your host, shotgun collector, wing shooter, and sporting clays enthusiast, Ryan Dowdy. Right out of the gate, I have a special announcement. You've heard me mention the epic shooting adventures that I've had over the years at Greenacre Sportsman's Club in Roberts, Illinois. We documented my most recent visit to participate in their annual Christmas Grand Batu shoot. That two-part episode was extremely popular, and I've gotten countless questions and messages from listeners interested in that experience. Talking with Keith Coyle and his team, we have set a date for the first ever A Break in the Action Listener's Downton Day shoot for May the 18th of this year. The Downton Day shoot that Keith organizes is a full day of simulated game shooting that uses clay targets to masterfully replicate every element of the full British shooting calendar. Scottish grouse, English driven pheasant, and walked up partridge. The day is completed with full hospitality including breakfast, elevensies, and the gala meal. If you've ever wanted to experience a proper British style shoot, you won't want to miss this. Price for the day is just $375, and non-shooting guests are welcome at $99 each. Space is extremely limited to just 12 shooters, so don't delay in registering. To secure your peg for the May 18th A Break in the Action podcast Downton Day shoot, call Green Acre Sportsman's Club at 217-395-2588. I'm looking forward to the opportunity to meet some of you, shoot, and of course, talk about shotguns. I want to start this episode off with a quote from one of my favorite authors, the late Gene Hill. What friends I have, what days I treasure most, what places I think about and smile. They are because shotguns are. Without them, I would have been empty. They have made my life full. Now, if I had the chance to sit down with Gene over a drink, I'd definitely push back a bit and say that I measure the fullness of my life more by the people that I've been lucky enough to know and love than in things, and I would bet that he would agree. But I do get the point that he was making. Shotguns for me are woven into almost every aspect of my life. They've connected me with some of my dearest friends. They offer a shared pastime of shooting and hunting with my wife and my daughters. And shotguns have looked on during so many successful and unsuccessful days in the field with my dad. The dogs I've owned snap to attention when I so much as handle a shotgun in my office, and they become fully electrified when they notice I'm sleeving a shotgun. For many, this steel and wood tool transcends its original intended purpose. My guest today is A.J. DeRosa. I'm sure you're familiar with his creation, Project Upland. 
AJ is the first guest in what I hope will be an interesting and recurring series that I'm calling Shotgun Stories. AJ, I'd like to talk to you about the guns that you have owned and shot with, and here's some of the memories that you've made with them. Um, welcome to A Break in the Action. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Let me just start off with a thank you for the world that you've created with Project Upland. Um, I want to talk with you in more detail about all the beautiful, creative, and original content that you're putting out, but I wanted to start off with a uh, with a thank you. Oh, I, I think I have to thank all the people that are smarter and more talented than me that make Project Upland something people love. So um, sure, I might have planted the first seed, but I'm certainly not the one that made the tree grow as good as it did. <laughs> well, you're, you're very humble. Um, you haven't heard it yet, but in the introduction to this episode, I read a quote from the late Gene Hill about how important shotguns were um, in his life. Mm-hmm. I know that I, for one, regularly attach memories to objects, um, and it's not just limited to shotguns. Um, as an example, my oldest daughter is getting married in June, and I'm already thinking about the watch that I'm going to wear to walk her down the aisle. Um, in my mind, this object's value, this watch, will immediately soar to priceless um, in my eyes because of that moment that I'll forever be able to associate um, with it. Shotguns are a lot like that too. Maybe not every shotgun you own and certainly not only the expensive ones. I have a $300 pump shotgun that I took my first turkey with. I did everything wrong for three years, but then one morning luck was on my side um, and I successfully called in a, a wary time and took it with this, with this pump. I can still look at this gun and remember the excitement of that particular day. So my goal as we talk will be to uncover some of the interesting and the memorable shotguns that you've owned, and then maybe hear some of the, the moments and the stories um, that you associate uh, with them. Right. Okay, so we have to start at the beginning. Um, what was the first shotgun that you can remember being able to call your own? Um, and I'm, I'm really hoping it wasn't a fancy one. No, no. I have a lot of, a lot of guns that aren't fancy that I love. So um, my first shotgun that was actually mine, um, my father bought me an 870 pump 20-gauge youth model. Um, that would have been the 80s. Um, I still have it shot a turkey with it nice. <laughs> a couple of years ago to get it some exercise, um, which was cool. First time I broke it out and I don't know how long. I think the last time it saw our action before that was shooting deer. Um, I grew up in Massachusetts, so Massachusetts is a shotgun restricted state. You can't hunt with a rifle. So, uh, you know, that thing's shot a lot of slugs. Um, I've killed for all the deer I've killed with a shotgun. Um, Every single one was with that gun. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a, it's a pretty cool gun. I, I could never get rid of it. I mean, it's probably valueless. It's uh, been beat to hell. Yeah, not, not worth much, but priceless all at the same time. Um, it's, it's, uh, but I love it. You know, it's like, it's got the, um, I get the bird barrel, which is matte finish, the gun's matte finish, and then my slug barrel is, um, is, uh, gloss, so it doesn't match when you put the slug barrel on it. But man, do I love that gun! Um, yeah, just so many memories. I couldn't part with that gun ever. Yeah, yeah. So, did you grow up wing shooting, or was it all pretty much um, just deer hunting? I did. Yeah, yeah. And I would have, um, you know, my first gun I hunted birds with was my brother's shotgun, which was a old New England firearm single shot four ten. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but then is I, that the is that the break action exposed hammer? Uh, yep. Gun? Yeah, yeah, and uh, and then I would have been hunting with that eight seventy. Um, my brother had a, a twelve gauge eight seventy that he hunted with. Um, my father wouldn't let us have semi-automatic shotguns. Uh, that was something you had to like grow into. He shot a semi-automatic. My grandfather shot a semi-automatic, but that was something you know, that was kind of like when you got older, um, when I got like really into bird hunting, like, I mean, I grew up doing it, but it would be, you know, until my mid to late twenties, when I really started getting back into it, because I just spent so many years deer hunting. Um, and I was just really obsessed with that. And then I kind of went off the deep end for birds instead. Um, I ended up buying an over and under shotgun. So, um, which was a Franke, uh, over and under, which I still have, um, again, sentimental value story. I shot first birds over my dog Grim with that gun. And, uh, I don't think I'd ever be able to part with yeah, it. <laughs> yeah. This is a complete aside, but I owned a Franchi, um, over and under years back that I bought from a local pawn shop. And this thing must have lived in that shop for, for a long time. And it just had soaked up years of the smell of the cigarette smoke atmosphere that it lived in there. Um, it actually took my breath away. Like every time I mounted this gun, I had to, I had to get rid of it. Um, do you still get out and hunt with your brother or your, your family? No. Um, unfortunately, uh, we lost my brother last year. Mm. Um, you know, I do have, I'm sorry to hear that AJ. No. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's fine. I mean, I, I have a lot of good memories uh, about my brother. You know, the big thing about my brother is that, um, he was such a better shot than me <laughs> and that just always pushed me to like, you know, you were never adequate enough. It was kind of this subtle, uh, but yet healthy drive that always pushed me to, to get better at everything, whether it was archery, wing shooting. Um, I really had to work towards it. And for my brother, it just always came so naturally, um, which, you know, I really appreciated. Um, but yes, yes, yeah. I can't trust me. I can't, uh, I can't shoot a shotgun or, or go hunting without thinking of him. And that's not a bad thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not at all. And thank you for sharing that. Um, I, I hope that you never lose that association um, to him. And I, and I bet he would appreciate that. Mm -hmm. um, let's move on now uh, to what you're shooting uh, now. Currently um, we've heard about the shotguns that you sort of cut your teeth on. Um, where are you now with shotguns? What, what's your go-to shotgun? Sure. Um, so I have uh, an Upland Gun Company RFM Venus, um, 28 gauge. It was custom built for me. So, you know, uh, measurements I chose, which I do not believe are my proper measurements, <laughs> um, but uh, I shoot them well. Um, there's kind of a whole story behind that, but um, it weighs five pounds, one ounce. Oh, wow. Um, 28 inch barrels. Um, choked skeet one skeet two um i love that gun uh the only thing i would have done differently is um it has like you know the like fake side plates and i would have got it as just you know without those um just as a regular kind of box lock yeah um i don't really i don't really care for the fake plates on guns um it was just at the time that was that was what the situation uh, a lot of for I love it. It's a great gun. I've killed a lot of birds with it. <laughs> nice. Did did I hear you say it has an English stock or is it pistol grip? Yeah, straight English stock. Um, I'm a sucker for straight English stocks. Um, I didn't really learn that until my first CZ Bob White. 
Um, before that, I already shot, you know, a pist uh, pistol grip or, or Prince of Wales type um, stock. So, um, yeah, I, I, I really love that gun. I, the year before I shot um, the Zeus, which was also built by RFM, an Upland Gun Company, and uh, I got a matching barrel set, so 20 gauge and a 20 ink gauge. So in retrospect, all I really did was get a very heavy 28 gauge <laughs> um, because um, I don't, I don't, you know, I'm a, I'm one of those 20 gauge devout cult members. So um, I don't really shoot the 20 gauge. Um, I probably should. Um, I was actually just hunting down in New Mexico a um, uh, few weeks ago and I borrowed a shotgun while I was down there and it was this old Spanish built. I don't even know the name of the company. Uh, had a big old chip out of the stock, uh, 16 gauge. And I tell you, man, I couldn't feel that gun go off. Um, it's a pretty, pretty cool gun. Um, you know, as far as, uh, so after that I was like, all right, maybe I can pull out a 20 gauge now and again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've, um, I've kind of been going back and forth between 20 gauge and 28 gauge. I'm, I'm definitely reliably a 20 gauge shooter, uh, for most of my hunting, um, I've, I've got a nice little 28 gauge, um, and I like shooting it. It's a light little over and under with 28 inch barrels. Um, and I think that I'm settling in on the fact that for me, that's just a great, um, grouse hunting gauge, um, for shooting in more like open country, a 30 inch barrel, 20 gauge seems to be a better fit for me. Um, the 28 gauge is, is definitely fun to shoot. And, and I definitely, don't want to say that they're like a novelty gauge. I know some people would kind of argue okay. that um, because I, I I know guys that would actually want to fight me <laughs> to convince me that the twenty eight gauge is is perfect for every hunting scenario. Um, I just I just kind of like having a variety um, in shotguns, I guess. Yeah, I have a definitely a widespread of gauges in my safe, but I for the most part only hunt with a twenty eight. And when I switch to a twenty eight, um, I really started killing more birds, and I think a lot of that has to do with you know, I'm not a particularly big person, you know, I'm five, five, 150 pounds. Um, you know, what it takes me to move a 28 gauge is not the same as somebody that might be six feet tall and, <laughs> uh, whatnot. So, you know, a 28 gauge is just kind of really natural gun for me. Exactly. Yeah. It's relative. Yeah. Right. That, that would be an interesting discussion, uh, scaling the gauge to the shooter. I might have to put some thought into that. Yeah, totally. It's relative. And uh, one thing I will always say, though, is um, and all the grouse hunters, many grouse hunters out there will hate me for this, but I am a firm believer in 28 inch barrels. Um, almost all my guns are grouse guns. It's essentially all they're used for outside, you know, practicing to shoot skeet. Um, but um, that swing, that forward momentum that you actually get with a 28 inch barrel is um, that's why you kill more birds. Um, you know, I, I have some shotguns in my safe that are, you know, old school grouse guns with 24 inch barrels on them. And, uh, but what I've always said is, you know, I've never swung my shotgun in the woods and said, Oh, if there was only four inches left of my gun, I would have hit that grouse. Uh, cause it's, if anybody who knows shooting grouse cover, it's, uh, you're falling over trees, your arms are hung up on trees. Like it's not, uh, it wasn't four inches that made the difference. Right. Um, right. So, so what's your take on 30 inch barrel sets in the grouse woods? Because, um, those are really popular now, the longer barrel options, me yeah. kind of always hunting for my right. next shotgun. You can get a noticeably better deal 
on a gun with 28 inch barrels right now versus the same gun with 30 inch mm-hmm. um, barrels. Do you have an opinion on, on 30? Is that, is that too long? Uh, you know, I, I don't, um, you know, I know, especially, you know, th- this is a big thing, you know, speaking of kind of Gene Hill, um, of opening your thing, you know, he was adamant that the, the gun you shoot on a, on a range is different than the gun you shoot, um, you shoot hunting. And as he called it, uh, it's a gun of specialty function. Um, I understand that, you know, the heavier, heavier gun, longer barrels on a range makes sense, but, um, you know, to put it very uneloquently, um, but kind of quoting William Harden Foster is ultimately you need to walk really far in the grouse woods um, through a mess of things ultimately to get there and be able to shoot that gun straight, uh, not to be worn out, all those kind of things. Um, and that's, you know, when I think of a gun, I think of a grouse gun. So I think of a gun that is really as light as I can possibly make it, that I can shoot efficiently, um, and consistently kill birds with. Um, and there's within reason, sure. Maybe, you know, uh, would my swing be a little better with 30 inches? I'd certainly, I'd certainly experiment with it, but to say that I have some profound, um, you know, expectation or, or profound experience with it. No, <laughs> I'm very happy with 28 inch barrels as of right now. <laughs> so is, is grouse hunting as far as wing shooting goes, is grouse predominantly yeah. what you're chasing? Do, no. you, do you get into quail or no, pheasant at all or dove? Do you, no. do you guys hunt doves no, at all? I can't hunt dove up in this part of the country. I, 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 I mean, I do travel to hunt here and there, but you know, 95% of my hunting is rough grouse and woodcock in New England, um, which I absolutely love. Um, sure, because of my work, I could really travel and, and do kind of whatever. And I do try to kind of check off a new box every year. But despite just, you know, the, I mean, there's just so many wonderful game birds throughout this country and terrains and views and, and, and people and characters and just all these things that make all these places special. But at the end of the day, um, it comes down to comfort food, you know, um, uh, the mountains here, the thick forest, the grouse drumming. I mean, it's, it's in my blood it's in my veins. Uh, it's never going to change. <laughs> and, uh, I would be perfectly content with only hunting grouse and woodcock for the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so getting back to project Upland, it definitely seems like it to some degree reflects your personal, um, interest there's plenty of diversity of content across all of what you're putting out, mm-hmm. but it does seem to reflect your personal interests um, pretty closely. So Project Upland does tend to be a little grouse and woodcock centric. We actively try for it not to be. Um, I'm the only one that works uh, in Project Upland that's in grouse country now. So Jennifer, the other owner, is out in Washington State. You know, she hunts trucker and, and huns and California quail and duskies and, and rough grouse too, but uh, certainly not necessarily target species aggressively out there for them. Um, so the aspect of kind of changing um, and covering those things, you know, it really comes down to um, – who can write authoritatively on a topic? You know, I can't, I can't fly down it for New Mexico and, and sure I shot all three species of quail, which was insanely epic. It was incredible experience, but I'm not going to turn around and start writing articles on, you know, how to hunt scaled quail. Um, you know, it's, it's just, it's to understand a bird, 
uh, and a place because um, even rough grouse is, is, you know, I've hunted rough grouse in like 20 something states and um, there the terrain, the habitat, it changes in, in many different, very intricate ways. So um, I'm confident to write on the topic of New England rough grouse or, or woodcock um, and stuff like that. But to really branch out of that is really difficult. So, you know, part of it is 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 kind of this journey of finding those people that can talk about those places um, in better ways. We have some great writers that do some stuff. Um, I think about uh, Frank Larncarriage and, and Kyle Hedges down in Missouri. They're uh, two Bob White quail biologists. Um, they wouldn't say it out loud, but they're pretty famous for uh, really uh, some groundbreaking science around how uh, prairie habitat um, could save Bob White in certain parts of the the country and, and they, that has been applied and it's been very successful. So those guys, they do a lot of stuff around quail in general, not just Bob White, um, but they're quail biologists. <laughs> so, um, so I could expect that kind of authoritative thing. Um, you know, so, so in Project Upland, we really look for that variety, um, but being founded up in New England, um, you know, the, the company is, is 10 years old now, believe it or not. Um, the first at least half of that existence was essentially purely grouse country um, just because it was just me kind of doing it for fun as a hobby now it's a real business people do it full-time right. employees it's 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 a it's a real thing so sure we expand elsewhere but um it's it's um it is noticeably you know if you have five years of content stacked up of just grouse and woodcock it's kind of hard to get out of the way of it yeah yeah but i feel like so. you still have that original authenticity um the project upland content generally whether it be a print magazine or content on your site or, or in films, that original um, passion is still there as you've expanded into some of these new topics and some of these new pursuits. Um, it still has that original authenticity again um, that it had when it was just primarily you doing what you were familiar with and what you loved. Yeah. And that's, you know, when we go out and cover somebody, I mean, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for somebody that's diehard about it. That's just lives and breathes it. And, you know, is, is, you know, the version of what I am in New Hampshire, you know, like we just released that film this winter about Ray Trejo down in New Mexico, who's actually who I just went and hunted with a few weeks ago. And uh, I mean, Ray is just, he bleeds quail, <laughs> bleeds quail, bleeds pointing dogs. Um, he is just so passionate about it. Uh, he's so, he knows so much about it. Um, you know, and it's, it's, it's kind of all the things in between that I think really make is, is where you really see somebody's passion. It's not, it's not just killing the bird. It's not necessarily just the dog. It's all the in-between. It's being able to tell me what plant that is or, or telling me about the indigenous history of the place we are or showing me some kind of land feature that's unique. Um, all those kind of in-betweens or understanding, you know, these, these really intricate biologies because birds are just, you know, they're, they're such specialty habitat species. Um, and they're just, incredibly complex biologically. Um, so hearing those kind of just crazy parts of them, um, that's when you know that you're kind of hitting that right person. I mean, for, you know, for my free time, I'm usually reading, you know, some obscure 150 year old text I found about some letter that mentions rough grouse being, you know, written in New England and, 
you know, sent back to England or something crazy or whatever, you know, like, yeah. uh, so it's, it's, that's kind of, that's kind of what we're, we're looking for those people, those people that, that find the beauty and all. Yeah. Of them. Yeah. So how much of a gun guy would you say that you are? I, would you classify yourself as a shotgun enthusiast? And, and I guess mm-hmm. what I'm getting at to kind of set up this last question, do you have a grail shotgun? Is there, is there a gun in your mind um, that you're going to chase knowing that you may never actually get it, uh, but it's one that you've always thought would just be awesome um, to own. Yeah. You know, um, I have an unhealthy relationship with side-by-side shotguns. Um, there are a lot of them in my safe <laughs> um, and I'm always interested in another one. So, you know, it's that never ending thing. It's like, no matter what, when I'm like, this is the next shotgun I want, like, this is, <laughs> this is the Holy grail. You, I, I mean, you know, you're laughing cause you know, and then you get it and then something else falls into that, you know, number one spot as soon as you get it. You know, I really like, uh, kind of origin variety. Um, I love European shotguns. Um, I've never owned a French side by side. I would love to own like a Chapuis or something like that. Um, I've never owned any British guns. Um, I had a chance to get one some years back and I kind of regret not doing it. Uh, um, it was a company I didn't know, but I mean, man, the balance on that gun and stuff, it shouldered so nice. Um, so I, I would love kind of some more obscure, like British side-by-sides cause uh, you know, I'm not going to go out and buy a boss or, <laughs> or something like that. Um, but you know, so something like that I, I'd really be interested in, um, I have a lot of Italian guns. Um, you know, I do have a vowel on the end of my name, so that might corrupt me in that direction. Um, but you know, I, I've, and I have, I have a fair amount of Spanish guns. I have a few AYAs and, um, I would love, uh, a Grulia, uh, would be, uh, in an Arietta. I would love to, uh, have each of those to kind of round out my Spanish gun collection. But, um, you know, I don't know. I've owned a Merkel before. I didn't really care for it. Um, but I'd still give German guns another try, um, if it kind of makes sense. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, you know, the, really the place I don't dabble is, is American guns. Um, you know, and I, I think maybe at some point in my life, I will, I do live in a part of the country where there's a lot of them. Um, you know, New England is known for, you know, was known for all our gun factories. I mean, New Hampshire actually still has all sorts of gun factories, um, but, uh, not, not building side by sides, but, um, point being, um, you can go to like Kittery trading post, which is right at the main New Hampshire, Massachusetts border. And I mean, you'll go in there and there are just stacks of Parkers and Foxes and, uh, you know, whatever else that you may interest. Um, and it's, it's, as you know, a lot to learn and I don't really have the knowledge in American guns. So when I look at older guns like that, I'm kind of like, yeah, I might be a little out of my depth here. Um, so I tend to, I tend to have, I do have a lot of old guns. I especially have guns that have been passed down. I have Mm -hmm. a, what would be considered a, a Belgium built guild gun. Um, 16 gauge with Damascus barrels and nice. hammers. That was my great grandfather's. Nice, nice. Um, and and those are sometimes some of the most beautiful and well built guns. And and they aren't even identified by any yeah, known gun maker. Exactly, it's not right. Yep, yep. So I have that. Um, uh, I recently acquired an Ithaca that was my grandfather's, um, a 12 gauge. Um, so you know, I have some of these odd guns. I have a a Spanish 410. I forget the name of the company. It's, it's an obscure company. It's out of business now. 
um, that um, Sabrina, my significant other's grandfather gave me. Um, you know, so I have kind of these these weird guns. You know, the the American gun market here, there's a lot of duck guns. So yeah. it's like you pick up a Parker and it's, you know, choked full and full. And, <laughs> you know, it's got 30-inch barrels for sure. And <laughs> um, so there is a lot of that going on. So, I mean, there's a lot of beautiful guns. And um, if I was a person of more financial means, I would definitely probably be interested in kind of a project gun and sending it off to somebody like Del Whitman to – you know, build it out the way I want it. Yeah. Maybe, maybe if I have some form of disposable income at some point in my life, I'd, I'd get, you know, a Fox or a Parker, but, but, um, yeah. So, you know, I was picking up a shotgun not too long ago at new England firearms in New Hampshire, which they're a big importer of double guns for this part of the country. And, um, they had a used 28 gauge Italian, shotgun and i have it written down somewhere i took some photos of it um i wasn't familiar with the company but they wanted like 14 grand for it and man i shouldered that thing and i was just like oh my god i want this gun <laughs> it's just like it was like i was in love with it it was a round action yeah. you know box lock it's just such a beautiful it was tiny it was light um, and somebody had a hat. Side by side. Yeah, yeah, side by side. Yeah, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a side by side junkie for sure. I'm, I'm devout in that category. And uh, yeah, I really wanted it, but there's, you know, there's no version of my uh, financial means to afford a gun like that. <laughs> Pretty much all the nice guns I have are because uh, I've, in, in certain cases of doing work over the years with Project Upland, have taken guns in lieu of cash. Um, in some incidences, which has allowed me to have some nice guns. You know, I have a, um, I have a, a beautiful AYA, uh, number two side lock, um, with Spanish wood, um, that, um, the owner, uh, Eric Arazenbal, um, of AYA actually measured me for, and I went to Spain and hung out with him for a couple of weeks. And, um, you know, he built me that gun, you know, um, it's just a really special gun. Um, you know, so I, I have a lot of guns like that, that are, I think are really cool guns. Personally, I, I don't care for side locks when it comes to grouse hunting. Mm. Um, that, that gun's got some miles on it. I did do a fair amount of bird hunting with it the first year I got it. Um, it treated me well, but, um, side locks, uh, are just heavier guns than box locks. It's just, you know, it's just more metal going on, <laughs> you know, uh, they're great guns. And for some people, you know, like I'm, I'm, you know, some people do like weight on that type of stuff, which is totally, Hey, it's, it's uh, choose your own poison. But, um, I certainly would, pre I prefer their number fours, the, uh, the number four, a Y, a Y box lock, uh, opposed to the number two side lock. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah. Well, so you named off some great shotguns. I, I certainly appreciate that. Um, if there's not a singular specific grail shotgun, how, how about a grail hunt um, in your mind? Is there a perfect hunt that you, that you dream about or could be domestic or international? Or Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a couple boxes I want to check for Upland Game for sure. Um, I, I, I'd love to check the Eurasian Woodcock box, which... Um, I had an opportunity to try a couple of years ago. It didn't pan out, but um, I will check that box at some point. I do make it to Italy a fair amount of times. So. Me, 
Meaning you got the opportunity to hunt them. You just didn't get into any birds. Or? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We didn't. Yeah. We were just, the, the flights were off. It just didn't pan out. Um, so I understand that as a woodcock hunter, it doesn't always work out. And we had this like half day window. Um, so, you know, I, I definitely want to plan to go to do that. Um, kind of a little more strict. Um, I've, I've bird hunted Africa before, um, South Africa, uh, Mozambique. Um, I would love to get down there and do that again, a little more extensively and a little more purposeful. Um, when I did it, I was there for about a month and, um, I was shooting camera for some stuff for somebody else that was down there. Um, ironically, we were supposed to shoot a bunch of waterfowl hunting films and we never went waterfowl hunting. Um, they just ended up big game hunting the entire time. But um, during the days, you know, those guys would hunt in the morning and hunt in the evening, but nobody would hunt during the day. And uh, I would go out bird hunting all day, every day. Uh, I was so burnt out by the time I came home. But I mean, it was just really cool. Um, you know, regretfully, the dogs, you know, they had GSPs, but they were not well-trained dogs. So it was, I would like to do it over better trained dogs. There are definitely outfits out there that are, you know, uh, really operating that do have good solid pointing dogs. Um, same, I would love to do Argentina, uh, for, uh, Perdiz and stuff like that. Um, so I'd like to just kind of see kind of these other things. I don't need to do them at, you know, any, you know, insane kind of caliber, but you know, my dream hunt is, you know, uh, my family's got a camp up North here in New Hampshire and it's, you know, just on the Canadian border. Um, and uh it's the mountains and it's um you know the camp itself is five miles in <laughs> um no electricity no cell phone service and uh, i spend the vast majority of my fall up there um and uh just the you know just wake up in the morning you know slow to the morning eat breakfast and uh head out and and hunt, you know, I got some covers that are definitely my favorite covers and, um, you know, just, uh, I really like hunting alone. So just me and the dog. And, uh, I just love the silence of the mountains. I love getting up on top of a mountain and just hearing nothing, just rivers in the distance and, and whatnot, and just, just taking it all in. So for me, that's kind of, that is the, you know, and I don't need to shoot, <laughs> you know, all sorts of birds. Sure. There was a time in life where, you know, I was all about limiting out every day, but now it's like just getting that, that kind of perfect set. And it's not just about the dog. It's even the grouse just kind of giving you the right place at the right time. And <laughs> that perfect scenario and kind of that perfect shot and just to, to have it all come together. And, and those moments that just get seared into your brain. Yeah. Um, and what I love about it too, is just how grouse can just you can have a streak you can be so confident and then they'll just they'll bring you to your knees <laughs> i mean and i just i love that about them. and and i love how you mentioned that progression of a hunter's mind um, that's been talked about a lot you know early on you're you're consumed with with just getting out then um, hunting hard and bagging a limit becomes kind of the goal right and then as you mature as a hunter which coincidentally doesn't have anything to do with your age then the measure of a quality hunt comes more as these intangibles, right. not how many birds you have in your bag or how many miles you walk, but kind of the, the, the memories of a surprise point um, and then a perfect flush, 
um, a well-placed shot, and then, and then taking the time to kind of study that bird in hand and quietly celebrating with your dog. Those are the sort of moments um, that, I, that I really am looking to get more of. Yeah, and I'd say, you know, probably one of the most incredible moments for me recently, um, you know, I, I, I moved to New Hampshire from Massachusetts, and when I was a kid, you know, I could hunt grouse where I, I grew up. There's no grouse there anymore. I haven't seen a grouse down that neck of the woods in 20 plus years. Um, so when I was a kid, when we would go out hunting, you know, we would walk out of my dad's condo, you know, with the bird dog, you know, we wouldn't even drive. And uh, we'd walk up the road and go into the woods and we would grouse and woodcock hunt like right there. And growing up, like I like that was so normal to me. And then, you know, when my father moved, um, and I got older and, um, you know, I, I grew up in, um, I grew up in a, a duplex and, and whatever. And so I wasn't hunting in my backyard, you know, uh, I'd have to drive across town to bow hunt and stuff, which was great. I mean, suburban bow hunting is, is pretty, pretty wild. But, um, when I moved to where I live now, you know, I, I we moved up here, it'd be, I think eight years, uh, this summer. But that first year with the dog, I was able to walk out my front doorstep, not get in my vehicle and walk right into the woods and hunt rough grouse and woodcock. Um, and that for me was just such a, such a connection to my childhood and to something that at the time you just don't know how special that actually is. Um, so that to me is, is something, I mean, the, the hunting here is much harder than up at camp, but you know, I have days where, you know, I go out and move eight, 10 birds, you know, for grouse, which is, which is really exceptional for this area. Yeah. And you know, if I shoot one bird, I'm happy and, and can call it a day. Um, the woodcock flights through here are really good. Um, you know, I, I can run my dog on 30, 40 woodcock in a couple of hours when mm. the flights are coming through, yeah. uh, for training, which is just really, really special all within, you know, five miles of my house. Um, which is, you know, that, that there is like, um, you know, just living in bird country, living in wild bird country to me is, is that's kind of the dream and I, and I'm, I'm living it, you know? So that, that to me is, is what's special. Yeah. Um, just to be that connected, yeah. you know? Well said. I, I like that you don't take that for granted. Um, as someone who doesn't live in the middle of grouse country uh, or quail country or pheasant country for that matter, uh, I'm definitely envious. Um, AJ, what's next for Project Upland? Is there is there a next chapter for the Project Upland project? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, we, uh, we got some books coming out that we're publishing. Um, we... Everybody probably saw Pointing Dogs Volume Two, which we did with Craig Koshik. Um, he's, you know, just insanely talented. Um, our next book um, is uh, with Mark Parman, um, who wrote like Upland Almanac stuff like that. Um, we're going to be publishing that this summer, uh, be coinciding with a fall film release. We shot a film with him um, this past season, along with Jay Dowd. Jay Dowd's actually going to be doing all the artwork in the book. Um, so, um, it's called, I believe the working title is Upland Matters. Um, Jennifer is kind of the lead on, on the publishing front. So, um, I tend to be the lead on the, the visual media front, film, photography, a website, that type of stuff. But, um, she tends to be the print side of the operation. So, um, they've been plugging away. We were on a call last week about it. So we're on, on schedule. Um, 
we're going to be doing another book with Jason Carter, um, who's kind of our resident dog training writer. Um, great friend of mine up in Maine. The Carter family is, uh, his parents were some of the founding members of NAVDA. Hmm. Um, he's, I'm pretty sure he came out of the womb training bird dogs. So <laughs> um, he's got a really cool book that he's working on that we're going to be moving on to next. That's um, really about the philosophy um, of, of, you know, dogs, how to train dogs, less about the step one, one through three type thing, uh, a little more about understanding reading dogs, that type of stuff, uh, like learning that intricacy that makes somebody a good trainer. It's really cool. Jason's really talented. We also have another, we have another kind of branch of Project Upland that's coming out with Jason. So we have a dog training series um, that we're going to be launching in the next few months here. Um, we've been in production with Jason for some time. Um, Project Upland quality film. So when we do anything, we do it over the top. So it looks like master class, um, master class for bird dogs. Um, so um, we have a couple courses that will be coming out and then we're going to be going it back into some more production for it. So, well, so will that be a um, web-based course that people will just subscribe to or? Correct. Yeah. And we're actually going to be probably by the end of the year, we'll be pushing out an app format. So um, you'll be able to um, offline content onto your cell phone. So if you're like me and you, you're going up into a place where you don't have cell service, you'll be able to offline those videos and be able to uh, kind of keep track of what you're doing and all that. You know, even your progress will sync back up with the app when you come back in. So um, it's I'm pretty excited for that. Um, it's it's been a long road into the making. Um, uh, Jason is is just such a he, he's really good with people um, and that, you know, really good dog training. I've come to learn comes down with training, training people, not dogs. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so um, that's, uh, you know, I th always think of uh, uh, he wrote this article one time and his dad, Blaine, is just such a character. I, I could talk to Blaine all day, every day. And uh, he talks about how how this dog does something wrong or whatever else. And Blaine says, okay, take that newspaper over there and roll it up. And now take that newspaper and hit yourself in the head. Cause it's your fault. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's really kind of, I think that sums up the philosophy of the Carters and, and, and just kind of where all this is going. So uh, I'm really excited to see that come out. We have some more audiobooks coming out for people who haven't uh, seen them. Uh, we have a new book, uh, Sheik and I, that I'm actually going to be, uh, just came out of the studio, um, so I'm going to be preparing the files and getting them up. So hopefully that will be available on Audible in the next couple of weeks. Um, we have a few other books up there. We just we did Upland Shooting Life by George Bird Evans in collaboration with the Old Hemlock Society. Uh, I'm sorry, Old Hemlock Foundation. Um, we are uh, hopefully going to keep doing some of the George Bird Evans books. Um, so, you know, some cool stuff on that front. Um, I really kind of love love that format. Um, I think audiobooks are just super rad. And um, we've been slowly but surely pushing through um, a new podcast series that we're going to be having coming out. So um, there's a little bit of discussion about getting Hunting Dog Confidential back up and running. A lot of people have been demanding it. So before they, they burn the castle down, we shall, we shall, uh, we shall reciprocate uh, that. But... Um, and then we have our on the go podcast, which is just our audio recorded articles, which for me, I mean, personally, I, I, I'm moving around a lot, so it makes it really easy to consume things. But the new podcast that we have coming up is 
Um, we've been in production. Uh, we're lining up a few kind of seasons. They're not going to be, it's not going to be consistent. Like you can listen to it every week. It's going to be kind of blocks of seasons. So one season might have eight episodes. We'll release it over eight weeks. Um, and then there might be, there would be a dry spell, but essentially we'll dive into a topic. It's very NPR style. Um, a lot of sound design, uh, a lot of special effects to really kind of set a mood. So really what we do in film, we are going to bring to sound. Nice. Yeah. So, uh, I'm really looking forward to that. It's a lot of work. Um, that's what I will say. It's just a ton of production work. And, um, I, I'm, I'm, uh, unfortunately I am the sole editor, um, on that project. Um, and it's hugely time consuming. So, so yeah, that's, that's really kind of the big, um, what do we have coming up, you know, kind of, and then, um, the next issue of hunting dog confidential, um, which is now a hardcover book, um, will be coming out, um, the spring. Um, this, this volume is, uh, centric around, um, working dogs and conservation. So I actually got to go, uh, finish up my article soon here. I'm doing mine on the, uh, uh, New Hampshire fishing game canine units. Um, and they use those dogs for all sorts of things. But one of the things I find really fascinating is they use them to, um, sniff out, um, the, uh, wads from shotguns, um, for, uh, perse- uh, for prosecution on, uh, discharge distance cases around turkey hunting, which is like a big thing, you know, turkey hunters, uh, you know, are, are this kind of, um, there's a big issue around spring turkey season and people shooting too close to houses. So they bring these dogs in and, and normally, you know, they would have to grid that area out with, you know, all sorts of staff and, and try to find that wad. And, you know, they can bring a dog in there and get it done in 10, 15 minutes, uh, opposed to what could be, huh. yeah, dude, it's so cool. I mean, just really, they, they use all, all labs, um, for our canine units. Um, and our dogs are, are here trained for, uh, powder detection, um, uh, cadaver dogs, and then, uh, search and rescue. So, um, search and rescue is a big part of what uh fishing game does. So I, I I'm on the fishing game commission, so I do a lot with in that world on a daily basis (laughs) well well i asked you that question to see if you had another iron or two in the fire it sounds like you actually have about a a dozen or so irons in the fire um yeah we're very busy (laughs) one one thing that i didn't hear you mention is the actual magazine i'm still an unapologetic fan of good old-fashioned periodical Mm -hmm. um i've mentioned it before that sitting down early on a Saturday morning with a cup of coffee and a magazine that, that just arrived um, in the mail is one of my favorite things to do. Um, and, you know, honestly, whether I'm deep diving into the magazine or just flipping through it, I just, I love that experience. Thank you. And I, I have to say on the magazine front, uh, give credit where credit's due. Uh, Gabby, our editor in chief, and then Josh, our art director, are both just insanely talented. Um, sure i i give i give some high level direction of thematically or let's you know make sure we cover something on this or whatever else but i mean they go through and they execute that magazine and um i feel like uh same when they show up at my doorstep um i'm running out there like a little kid to open them up and um yep i mean they're they're beautiful and they're and they're full of great content sadly we've we've lost some great periodicals um recently specifically the uh, the double gun journal. So I think it's, it's very important, um, to promote, uh, what we're all still lucky enough to, to have and to enjoy. Yeah. Well, we, we appreciate it. And, uh, you know, we're, uh, we try to kind of break the mold and 
not we, we you know we don't do the avatorial thing we don't do gift guides we don't do <laughs> lodge reviews it's very much kind of the common man um down to earth uh you know wild birds public lands <laughs> that type of stuff yeah. so yeah well aj i appreciate it this has been a great discussion and you've been a, a fantastic guest thank you for sharing a bit of your story and how shotguns have been involved in it thank you for having me well what did you think about this episode I'd venture to say that like me and like AJ, shotguns have played a big part in the memories that you've made in the field or shooting. Before we wrap up, here's a quick word about our sponsors. Since 1937, Dewberry of Ireland has been expertly combining rugged, all-weather functionality with timeless style for both men and women. Not only are they home to the Galway boot, the iconic, original, waterproof, breathable, Gore-Tex-lined leather Wellington boot, but they also craft a wide collection of footwear, clothing, and accessories to handle whatever conditions life might throw at you. Check them out at Dewberry.com to discover your perfect fit. Established in 1985, Cole Fine Guns and Gunsmithing is a family-owned and operated business serving shotgun enthusiasts across the United States and beyond. Known as the Beretta experts and specializing in European shotguns, there is no better place to make your next purchase or access a full menu of shotgun services. Cole has developed a team of shotgun experts, the most complete in the industry and the most extensive service offerings in the industry. For a limited time, Cole is offering special pricing on new DT-11s with either custom stocks or TSK adjustable stocks. Details are available at www.colegun.com. Find out for yourself what the Cole experience is all about. Negrini's Italian-designed crash test double wall bumper technology is the strongest, lightest weight case in the shooting sports and outdoor industry. How light? Up to 65% lighter than most aluminum gun cases. All Negrini cases are TSA compliant and come with a limited lifetime warranty. Luxury finishes are available in 100% Italian leather to complement your beautiful shotgun. With over 40 years of experience making the best quality cases, you can trust that Negrini has you covered. Boschieri and Pelagri is recognized worldwide for its design, production, and distribution of premium shot shell ammunition and components. From its custom powders and plastic wads to its innovative Gordon system cases and loaded ammunition, BNP has a long demonstrated history of providing high quality shot shell products for smoothbore guns for use in competition and in hunting. BNP shot shells, primed to perform. Don't forget to call Green Acres to register for our special Downton Day shoot on May the 18th. If you're interested in supporting a break in the action with a few dollars, our Patreon page is open. All Patreon members are entered into our quarterly giveaway. Our first will be on March the 31st, where we'll be giving away a premium Upland strap vest from Tom Beckby. Sign up at patreon.com forward slash a break in the action. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And until next time, we hope you have enjoyed this episode of a break in the action. Want to hear your voice on a future episode? Leave a message ask a question, or suggest a topic on our listener line at 317-662-4520. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook, and visit us at abreakintheaction.com.